Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 20, and our special guests, uh, very few players don't need an introduction because when you say Joe Koser or Joey Koser or I guess Joseph Koser, everyone knows that it's Joe Koser, former Bruce brother and of course original grindlinder of the Red Wings and uh, has a big event coming up uh, this weekend at the uh, Duck Lake uh, Park. And uh, let's bring Joey in about the uh, Joey Foundation, Joey Koser Foundation. You know, I'm going to call you Joey because I'm a lifelong Red Wing fan, and I know you as Joey. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But welcome to the uh, uh, Red and White Authority. And let's begin with the foundation. And I think that all of us have been sitting around a campfire at one time in our lives. And as we get older, it's you know usually a lot of stories and a lot of good times with your buddies over a few uh, beverages, shall we say. But your campfire, you had one extraordinary campfire which led to the Joe Koser Foundation. Yeah, thanks, Art. Yeah, nine years ago, my uh, buddy and I were sitting around a campfire and we were trying to figure out a way to give back to the community. We, uh, a police officer in our neighborhood lost their life and we wanted to find a way to, to raise some money, make awareness, maybe help the family out. And uh, we decided to start a charity, start a foundation. And most charities and foundations play golf outings. Coming from a small town in Saskatchewan, we played a lot of, a lot of softball. I figured, why don't we do a day of softball? And it's turned into uh, something special to first year. We, uh, we did it, and we raised about $17,000 for the thin blue line out of Michigan. And this year, we're hoping to hit 150000 for the one day to give to all the local charities. When it sounded like a good idea at the time. Getting it together, I know it was all, it's always more work than you ever anticipate when you have a great idea. I understand how that is, but yet this was able to grow and grow rather quickly because basically you're a pretty relentless guy. You were relentless on the ice and you're relentless about this. Well, I've got a lot of good people. Um, when we started the foundation, there was about five of us trying to do all the work, but as we've brought in charities, the charities have joined our board and really stepped it up. The first year we brought in uh, Matt Silverthorne and, and Brad Connell, two White Lake police officers who just, they're the relentless ones. They don't say no. Um, and like I said, every year we honor a different uh, person and we also add a charity. And these charities have stayed with us for the last seven, eight, nine years. And not only are they helping in the meetings, selling tickets, but game day, they're going to be working all day. We're completely a volunteer-led group. When you look at this, uh, this situation, one of the things that, that, that you have stressed, and I was at your sponsor's dinner last night where some emotional testimonies were, were given about, uh, uh, you know, parents who, you know, it, it, it's tragic, yet they, they're resilient too, who lose children to cancer. And uh, I guess my point being is, is that it is local. No one gets a dime from this, and you stress that. Uh, when you were putting it together, did you think that, I want, why keep it local and why, because a lot of charities, when they get large, have CEOs and are trying to do all kinds of stuff, they almost become a corporation. This, even though it's in its ninth year, is more of a, it still seems like a grassroots kind of, just the community banding together. Well, the thing about charities and foundations, there are so many great ones. 
what we wanted to stress was we want to keep it local, keep it in the lakes area, keep it in the Michigan area where when we honor somebody or when we make a donation, we hand them the check, we shake their hands, we, we see the smile on the face, we, we're part of the community, it's just like our event. It's in the middle of Highland, Michigan. People hardly know where it is. It's, it I used, get lost it a, every year going there. It was a dirt road a few <laughs> years ago. And people just come. We've, uh, it, it's kind of like a country fair if you've ever been to one. Right. Where we've, got, we've got carnival rides for the kids. We've got bounce houses. We've got dunk tanks. We've got arts and crafts. We've got two full baseball fields of kids' activities. And then... They're, they're supervised in there. We've got probably 25 volunteers watching these kids. And then for the adults, we've got, we've got a band playing all day. We've got beer gardens. We've got Little Caesars, Leo's Coney Island, Buffalo Wild Wings. We've got all kinds of food. And Anheuser-Busch supplies a lot of the beverages. And, and Pepsi has uh, been one of our title sponsors for a lot of years. So it's, it's one of those things when you get to the park, the kids aren't screaming to go home. They want to stay because there's just so much to do. You know, I know that each year you pick a family, and mostly, I've been to every event, every softball game except one, when Eminem and was playing at Comerica Park, I couldn't get out of it, uh, but seriously, it was the only time, I've always tried to help, you know, various things, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful event, and I, I can't stress that enough. Uh, you know, I tell you, I tell Newman, I'll do anything for you guys, and I think that that's the prevalent feeling. Because you have Red Wings, you have Tigers, Lomas Brown, Big Lowe's going to be there this year from the Lions, who's a great guy. Uh, the athletes banding together behind this charity is more, I think, a testament of how you were as a player and the man that you are than anything else, but it's got to be a great feeling where you know, a guy like Dylan Larkin, who just turned 21, we've all been 21 before, he's going to play in all three games. I mean, that's got to be a tremendous feeling for you. Yeah, well, we, you know what? As a hockey player, as a professional athlete, you, you learn from your peers. And I was fortunate enough to learn from, from, the, from the great Ted Lindsay. Through all his foundation work, um, I've learned from Sparky Anderson. So you, you see these people that you've grown up watching and admiring run a charity, run a foundation, give back to the community, and it just it forces you internally to want to do that. And I've, I've done that, and, and hopefully these young guys like Dylan and, and Luke and all these current players that are coming, they're seeing the next generation, how we're going to do that, and we're trying to instill in them that same thing where as we fade out, they're going to have their own foundations. We're just trying to keep that uh, momentum going. You know, the, the families that you pick, and that you help out. Um, I know the family that you're helping this year, um, it's kind of a heart-wrenching story, right, about Tessa, is that she was picked, unfortunately, as, you know, uh, God wanted her. And uh, that's exactly what happened. It was really a tough story to hear mm -hmm. because she was a young lady who touched everybody and made everybody a better person, yet you still, even though she's gone, you're still helping the family, there's still work to be done. Well, Tessa, we lost Tessa in June of this summer. The story with one of our big charities is Wings of Mercy. We've mm -hmm. had Wings of Mercy for about seven years. They're volunteer pilots that, that fly sick children uh, children that need special care, maybe the Mayo Clinic, at no charge. That what they, 
they probably couldn't afford to fly, they couldn't afford to get the treatment they need, and Tessa was one of the patients that Wings of Mercy flew a few years ago with help of our foundation. And it, 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 it's very sad. It was very glad that we could help her. Mm -hmm. uh, like they told us last night, they can't save everybody, but they have saved a lot of, a lot of young lives because they're able to get the correct treatment and, and get them to the right spot. They took Tessa to New York for about six weeks of treatment and it didn't save her life, but it, it probably helped her live a little right. bit longer and she touched a lot of people. And that's, that's what our foundation does. We had a family four years ago and I, the gang were family. Mm -hmm. They had a very unfortunate incident in there, and then they lost their their young man, their young boy. And after the event, Doug Gangwar came up to us and said that we saved his life because wow. he he was so distraught, didn't know what to do. Right. We gave him purpose again, and they're with us five years later. They spoke last night at the event. It just things like that. That's when I mean keep it local. That's what I mean. Well, you know, I'm going to say something right now. I mean, I know winning a Stanley Cup is great, but when he comes up to you and says that, that's got to be maybe the most satisfying feeling you've ever had in your life. Yeah, you know, and we had we had a lot of help there. Uh, I, I actually reached out to Eric Hipple. Mm. Eric Kippel oh, yeah. suffered the same tragedy. Yeah. And we used Eric, and I, I still to this day thank Eric every day I see him because he helped help that family along got them to the event and at that point we took over and and it's been a it's been a match that's perfect we've helped them out they're raising a lot of money for play like jackson and his honor and that's just one of one more of the local stories that we've been able to help right i mean well it, as i said it, it truly is a tremendous organization everyone bands together you're right country fair is the best way to uh to describe it let's talk a little bit about this year's event uh, and I know that this podcast, because it's uh, on the Red Wing website, goes all over the world. So people listening in, in Europe and South America and all corners of the globe plan for the 10-year celebration, which will be next year, the 10-year anniversary. But uh, unfortunately, it's Wednesday. It's on Saturday. So they may not be able to make There's it. There's still time. Flights, <laughs> they can catch a flight right now. Yeah, sure. I guess you can. I, yeah, let's go to America. I mean, it's worth it. Don't get me wrong. But I think the 10-year celebration you might want to hold off for, uh, save up a little bit. But there's still plenty of room and everything for everybody here. And if you, let's say the Midwest, at least, can still make it to this event. So let's talk about it. I know the games are at uh, uh, 1215, 215, and then the big celebrity game at 415. But uh, uh, some of the people that are going to be there, I know you, you've already said that there's going to be all kinds of singing. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm not sure why. And, you know, I love you, Darren, but I guess Darren's going to be singing too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's not a reunion of Grinder, but, uh, but D Mac will be there in his kilt singing. So that, that's always worth uh, the price of admission, shall we say. But you've got a lot of, lot of people. Especially, let's be honest, a lot of Red Wings are, and, and, and Tigers are, are going to be at this event. Yeah, so we're going to, on, uh, on our Twitter page, Jokos Foundation, and also Facebook, we're going to be putting the lineups out for the first, second, and third game so everybody can see when their favorite celebrities are playing. But, uh, for example, from the current Wings, we've got uh, Dylan, Dylan, of course. we got uh, Helm, DeKaiser, Glenn Denning, Sheehan, Howard. So we... Great representation by the Wings. Uh, former Wings, like you said, the, uh, McCarty, 
uh, Cicerelli, uh, Chris Draper, Aaron Ward is making his first appearance, uh, Manny Legacy, Mike Knubel, oh, Jason Woolley, Yuri Fisher, and there's, I mean, you know, I'm forgetting some, but uh, then you know, Mickey Redman will be there. Uh, our coaches actually are Mickey Redman and Dave Lewis coaching one team, and Andy Dirks and Lomas Brown coaching the other. Andy, unfortunately, is still battling, uh, finishing up some rehab on his injury, but mm -hmm. I think he said he's ready to play next year. Well, that would be so great. So then well, he'll, he'll join uh, Steve Avery, Dave Roseman, Scott Lucader from the, from the Tigers, and the local celebrities like Brad Galley, Amy Andrews, Karen Drew. So we've got, a, we've got a very, very good crew, and we've got two people coming back that have been there every year. Can you name those two? The, well, you. Okay, three. <laughs> uh, boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, how about, is it Newman? <laughs> the, uh, players. Okay, players. Dave Rosma? No. Gosh. Two, boy, this is, this is a stumper for me. I mean, I'm there. Uh, let's. I'll be Pat honest. Pat Peak. Well, is it Pat? Is it Pat Peak? And Brian Smolinski. Oh, really? Well, they're kind they're of the both only two. Yeah, yeah, really? Every year. And they're pretty good ball players, both of them. Very good ball players. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They. Well, yeah. My my favorite story is is Yuri Fisher came for the first time. I don't know three four years ago. He gets up to bat. First pitch. He hits a home run. I mean, he just crushes the ball. He runs around the bases, and yeah, I think I was just doing some sort of broadcasting at that time. And I go up to him and I say, "Well, yeah, let's bring in Yuri Fisher." And Yuri Fisher says, "That's the first time he ever held a bat and hit a ball. The first time he hits a home run on the first pitch." I mean, it was pretty amazing. You, you see memories like that. Everyone's accessible too. I mean, this is not uh, one of these things where. You know, the it, it, first of all, you guys wouldn't do it, but you no one's big time, let's say. You know, everyone, uh, you know, if you want an autograph or a picture, everyone is more than accommodating. Yeah, and like I said, nobody says no, but when we do get two or three or four thousand people at the event, you, of course, you can't hit everybody, right? You can't get, but but uh, the, the young guys, especially Dylan Larkin, will go out there and get right in the crowd and sign autographs. Everybody signs autographs. I mean, you're talking, we bring the best of the best. Not necessarily athletes, but people, and and they're just so so good and so generous, and they for the players to take their time, pretty much take all day Saturday to, to be with us and and help out to raise money. I I couldn't do it without them, and they've been they've been amazing to me. You know, I know tickets are available at the website, and the, also there's a walk up, uh, and, and you know, there, there's the parking isn't is that bad, really. It really isn't. I mean, there's there's a, there's a pretty big lot, and you know, and the, maybe down the road a little bit. You're, let's put it this way: you know when you're getting close because you're going <laughs> to see a, it's like old Woodstock, I guess would have been or something. There's a line of cars there, but uh, it, it starts. Tell people, I mean, you can come all day. You can spend all day there if you want, but uh, gates open at, is it 11. At, at 11, and the last game, up until about 6, 7 o'clock, you guys will be there. Yeah, we'll probably, as big events happen, they're not always on time. So I'm guessing uh, the last out will probably be around 6.30, and then, of course, we sit around and then still sign autographs and, Enjoy the rest of the sun. It's supposed to be 75 and sunny that day. Yeah, perfect. Uh, the only thing we recommend, and it might even say it on the website, is if you have an extra lawn chair or blanket, bring it because the bleachers seem to fill pretty fast. But uh, people come and go all day, so it's going to be a, a wonderful event. And the, the great thing about the event it also is the cost. The, the, you buy tickets for refreshments. 
all your food and drinks are usually one dollar. You might have to spend two dollars for a cold beer, but that's still not bad. No, no. So everything is very affordable. We have a, a very large silent auction where there's a lot of beautiful things you can bid on. And we have a we have a, a raffle running all day where there's probably a hundred prizes that we're going to be giving away to people that have bought tickets. So it's uh, we're really giving back to the people that show up too. Right. No, it's it's a great event, and uh, you know I'm really glad that you were able to do this to do the Red and White Authority and talk about it. And I know we spent you know and we should spend considerable time on this because it is a tremendous thing. I've I, I, like I said. This is year nine. I think I've been. This will be my eighth one, except for the Eminem concert there, as I said. But uh, uh, aside from that, Joe, I, I, you know, it's just really put together very, very well. Uh, I know you get a lot of help, but you really are. You're the guy. I mean, you're the glue that keeps it together, though. I mean, if it wasn't you in the way you are and the man that you are, this wouldn't happen. And so, on behalf of like, I, you know, I know I'm getting a little bit like. A little too emotional, maybe, but I'm, mean, you know, I mean, you're doing a great job. I mean, you know, and, and to stay in this community, and and let's, tr you know, you're drafted by the Red Wings. You come to Detroit. Do you know anything? You know, then you're Joey Koser. I mean, <laughs> do do you know anything about this area? I mean, it's your home now. You're, you know, you're an adopted son, shall we say? But what was it like when you first came to Detroit and were trying to make? Let's be honest, the Red Wings weren't a great team back then, but you were trying to make a hockey club. And I guess Detroit and Saskatchewan, even though the greatest hockey player of all time came from Saskatchewan, Gordy Howe, what was it like for you? Oh, I really knew nothing about Detroit. And anything I did here probably wasn't very good based upon <laughs> media and, and stuff that you hear because they, they talk about the negative stuff. But, right. uh I remember the first time after I was drafted, Jimmy Devilano brought in all the draft picks. So me, Stevie, Lane Lambert, Proby, <laughs> and we he took us to the Chop House. Carl's oh, Chop House? Carl's or? Chop House. And we had a huge meal there. Then he took us to the Tigers game, and it happened to be, it must have been a weekend night because they had fireworks that night. Mm -hmm. It might even have been July 4th weekend. So we got a chance to see the city, meet everybody. It was a great time. And then... Uh, when I came back to my first training camp, I mean, I knew what my job was in junior. I mean, I scored some goals, but it's still, I, I had other things that I was pretty good at. So <laughs> I just made a point of, of being noticed. I didn't want to just come out and skate around and try and be something I wasn't. And I really ticked off a lot of players when I had my first training camp. Uh, I remember high-sticking Larry Trader and cutting him for about 30 oh, stitches. Wow. and. I ran Danny Gare into the boards from behind, and he was a captain. <laughs> I had guys like Greg Steffen and Tiger Williams trying to take my head off, but I wanted to show them that I'm, I'm there. Right. And I went down to the minors, played, played till January, got called back up. Unfortunately, it was on a really bad injury, so I, I was in the hospital for two weeks in Detroit, so that was my first time in Detroit. I was in intensive care for two weeks. Oh, wow. And then went back to the minors again, came back, and... Pretty much stayed with the Wings the rest of that time, and I uh, had an amazing run with them. Your, and I know you've written a book about it, uh, you know, your dear friend, uh, you see his jerseys as long with yours, still at, uh, I guess now will be a little Caesars Arena, but at the Joe, you and Bob Probert, was it an instant connection? Did you have a history before Detroit? Or, because it just seemed, I mean, Bruce Brothers, it is a great name, obviously, but brothers is the key to that because you guys were like brothers. No, we never knew each other. We met our first time at Carl's Chop House. Uh, <laughs> then in training camp, we'd, 
we actually played tough against each other in training camp because we're both fighting for the same job. Right. Once we realized that they could use more than one, we became a, a, a tandem. We came, became brothers. We started doing all kinds of stuff together, on and off the ice. Uh, we lived together in Riverfront Apartments for two years. So oh we, we really became, <laughs> we became brothers. Uh, uh, and on the ice, we had, some, we had some fun. We, the team, we didn't have a good team. We had Steve Eiserman, and that was all we had at that time. But we knew the excitement we created when we got in the ice. So we, we would sit in the locker room before a game, and we'd decide, well, who gets to run the goalie first tonight? Or who grabs... Stu Grimson first, or who grabs this guy first? We would take turns, and we had it all planned out. And kind of, kind of sounds stupid now, but that was just—it was enjoyment. We loved doing it. Yeah, I know this was before the Bruce brothers, but in a strange sense, you were kind of like the Hanson brothers, only you were real hockey players. <laughs> we well, again, there wasn't much going on in the '80s, so to get people in the building and people out of their seats once in a while—that's what we. Uh, we try to do with our our fighting. When uh, the team then started to become pretty good, uh, you know, Proby was an all-star. Uh, that transition, you still, but but there was always talent there. I think you're selling yourself a little bit short as a hockey player too. You guys could play though. I mean that, and that was maybe the difference from maybe quote unquote. Your typical at that point the, the the goon, you know this. You guys actually had skill, though. We were we we could be trusted on the ice, and we have to give a lot of credit to Colin Campbell. He was an assistant coach that pushed Proby and I. I mean, pushed us almost to the brink of hating him once in a while. Right. But he kept us on the ice after practice, made us work on getting pucks around the boards, making plays. I mean, he was relentless, and I. I wouldn't have got to where I am today without him, and I know probably if he was with us would say the same thing. So, and speaking of that, I, I'm going to give it a plug anyway. But I don't know if you've seen the new Ice Guardians movie. It talks about the difference between a goon and an enforcer. Oh, really? And it is so well done. It's it gave me tears at the end of the movie. I think I saw the director or somebody who was involved in it on Jimmy Kimmel talking about it, and he talked about how it was really important to to kind of set the record straight, mm -hmm. you know, because unfortunately there was a time and in the, you know, I don't want to get all, you know, become a sociologist here uh, on the Red and White Authority, but there was a time where when you saw hockey highlights on television, it was basically mayhem on the ice. You know, it was like, you know, the old, and I hate this cliche, uh, I went to uh, a, fight. a fight, a hockey game broke out or something, you know, whatever it was, uh, but, uh, but it sets the record straight, which which is good because I, I want to transition because I know we only have you for a limited time. This is a very busy week for you. Uh, you get traded, you go to the the, the Rangers where you become Joe Coser because <laughs> you were Joey here in Detroit. Much to your maybe amazement, people just started calling you Joe Coser in New York. You win a cup with them. Uh, I wrote a story for, for the website about how you got back, at it, which, was a, which is a great story, and we'll get into that a little bit. But the key is, and I've told you this before, and I, and I want to I, I say it again, is that the old Red Wing configuration, there was like kind of a hallway and there was a room that where you guys would eat, and then afterwards sometimes, even the media, believe it or not, the media players would have a few beers after the game, it was this room. And, 
after a practice one time, you were in there, and I remember talking to you about, look, you were on some good teams here in Detroit, but you win a cup. What's the difference? And you said the difference that I found winning the cup in New York is you have to trust your teammate. If you don't trust your teammate, then you end up doing trying to do his job, and you don't do your job, and then you just don't have a team. And it always stuck with me, and I remember talking to some of the re younger Red Wings, and they said, that's what Joe brought. I mean, when, when, when of course, they called you because they were Red Wings. They called you Joey as well. They said, when Joey came back, I mean, that was really uh, the truth. I mean, he came back and was a leader and knew how to win. And I know from the story we had, a lot of that was Mark Messier kind of told the rate, kind of just said it straight out to the Rangers what you guys were going to do. Well, a lot of people are scared to say certain words, and when you're shut out is a word. People don't want to right. say shut out to right. goalies. And the other one is to win a Stanley Cup. Mark Messier came in when we first got him. He said, "Listen, no one's no one be scared to say we're here to win a Stanley Cup. We're going to win it. It may take time, but that's the goal. And don't, if anyone asks you, don't say, yeah, we're just trying to get through the first round. Say we're trying to win the Stanley Cup. And it's hard to win your first one. I was fortunate enough to go to New York." And they started making some trades. And they ended up bringing in about seven Oilers who had won the Stanley Cup. Well, they're teaching me how to be a leader. You've got Mark Messier. You've got Kevin Lowe. You've right. got Esau Tikkanen. You've got Glenn Anderson. You've got Jeff Bukaboom, Adam Graves, Craig McTavish. And I'm probably missing, but they all had won Stanley Cups already. So they come in, and they teach us not only how to play on the ice, but how to react to certain situations. Like when we're... We lost a game, we're down 3-2 going into Jersey in, in the semifinals. There was no panic in the room. Right. Mark Messier went on and said, we will win tonight. And that was plastered across New York Post, New York Daily News, everywhere, where Mark Messier guaranteed a win. I don't know that he meant it in that sense, right, Joe right. Namath guaranteed. Right, right, right. But he said it, and they ran with it. We're down 2-1 going into the third period, Mark Messier scores a hat trick to win the game. Then we go on to win game seven and double overtime and win the Stanley Cup. So they, they wanted the pressure. They, they just enjoyed it and they battled through it and I learned from that. So when I came back five years later to play in the Red Wings, I, was, I wasn't a young kid anymore. I right. learned from some of the best and that's when I tried to instill that. Yeah, I, I've never asked you this question before. It might be an unfair question, but you, know, you had two captains, like a Messier and an Iserman, both legendary players in their own right, although I know Steve kind of downplays everything he's ever done on the ice. Were they different? Were they similar? Did you see, or, or is leadership comes in all forms, I guess is what I'm trying to ask you. They were similar in the fact they're winners. They're two of the greatest sentiment ever to play the game. But as leaders, they were complete opposites. Mark Messier was a, a very vocal, in your face, uh, similar to Gordie Howe, where he would slap you across the head or elbow you or, or go down and beat three guys one-on-one -on -one and score. But he, he never held his emotions in. The thing with Stevie, Stevie didn't say anything until he knew it was right time. Right. He was very articulate and, and I don't know what the word would be, but he would wait until he knew it had to be said and he would say it in a calm quiet manner and everyone would there wouldn't be a you couldn't hear a pin drop in the room it was just that everyone just sat and listened and we knew it and but he also led on the ice 
I, re I can't remember how many times I went up to him and I said, Stevie, stop blocking shots. That's, we don't, I mean, <laughs> I don't want you to get injured. You, you get injured, we don't win a Stanley Cup. Right. I, I'm, it's honest. We had a lot of great players, Nick and Sergey, but he was, he was the glue that kept everything together. But he was that player that would go down and, and sacrifice his body. And I would go to Scotty and I'm like, Scotty, get him off the penalty killing. We don't want him hurt. But that's just the way Stevie was. So that's the difference. Stevie led. They both led by example. Right, right. And Stevie was a quiet, calculating leader when Mess was that guy at the front of the line screaming at everybody to go. Right. Well, you know, you could, you could see it in Messier's. You know, I had a nickname for him because, I, you know, I always admired him as a player and respected him. He always reminded me, especially when he was, like, balding and all that, like the Red Skull. The nemesis of Captain America. You know, you always, I used to always call him the Red Skull, even though I, I don't even know if red, well, red, I guess, is part of the Rangers color. Anyway, um, let's get to the story, and it's quickly, because I know we have to be wrapping this up, is that Scotty Bowman, Jerry Vogt, Bob Moran, you, and Bob Probert all played a big role in having you come back to the Red Wings. Well, when I got traded from the Rangers in 95... I went to Vancouver for a very short time. I, uh, they bought me out of my contract, so I had nowhere to go. I came back to Detroit. Uh, I used to go have coffee with Bob Moran and Jerry Vought over at Art Moran Pontiac. And Scotty, I knew, would go in there once in a while. So I just, off the cuff, I said, hey, tell him that you got a guy here that wants to come back and play. So I just kind of said that in a joking matter, not knowing that they were talking in the background. But uh, I went down to a game in October, and Chicago was in town. So I went up to talk to Proby after the game. And I said, hey, I... Nice nickname for him was Big Dummy. Right. I said, hey, Big Dummy, next time you come to Detroit, do some crazy shit and get these guys thinking they got to get tougher. Well, right. Not knowing he would, he comes back and he spears Jimmy Purser and he fights Shanahan and he, he just creates mayhem all night on the ice. The next morning, I think it was Wojo wrote a story, <laughs> Red Wings need to get tougher. I get, my agent gets a call from Scotty and Scotty says, hey, send Joe down to the minors and get him in shape and... We we're going to think about bringing him back. And sure enough, I went down to San Antonio, and what a hockey town that was. <laughs> well, you told the great, I mean, you, told, I, you wrote the story, but I mean, the, the, in between periods, you have guys like trying to sell cowboy boots. Sell cowboy boots. Guys are getting fitted for cowboy boots between periods. <laughs> and, then, and then you have a Saturday, early Saturday morning practice, and no coaches show yeah, up. No coaches. They, they must have missed their alarm or they left town. Who knows? Pretty laid back, but. Right. Uh, I came back for Christmas. I remember that December 33rd, 23rd, I was sitting, uh, sitting on the couch watching TV. And back then, we don't have cell phones. So the house phone rang. And my wife answers it. And she goes, someone's on the phone for you. And I picked up. And it was the way he said it. I love that he says, Joe, this is Scott Bowman. He says, I want you to send somebody down to pick up your car and your things. You're going to stay with the Red Wings. <laughs> so that was a pretty good Christmas present. No, right. Well, you know, and what's interesting about that, and, and I don't mean to j jump around a little bit, but when uh, that game you talk about, Probert played the, the, the Wings, I guess, in Chicago and had like four minutes in penalties. The game that you saw was like four minutes in penalties. Then the game just before Christmas, or it was like December 12th or whatever it was, he had 44 minutes in penalties. <laughs> no, he had 44 minutes. That's why Wojo wrote that column. I mean, it worked. It worked. I mean, you know, he really, uh, which is also how much he really cared about you. I mean, he goes out there and just wreaks mayhem on, let's be honest, one of the best teams in the league, and he's just... <laughs> 
He's taking on all comers. That's a, I, I just love that. When I looked up the stat line after you told me that, I saw you had 44 minutes in power. In a 60-minute hockey game, I'm thinking, was he kicked out? I mean, I, you know, it wasn't you know, itemize all his penalties. It was just 44. That's, that's, that's quite a, a thing. You get back. You're in Detroit now. You're playing. Scotty, and this, again, you're thinking, okay, I'm coming in here, you know, Bruce Brothers 2 minus 1. Here I am. He comes up to you and talks to you and says, hmm, let's put the brakes on that, Joe. Well, to, to, yes. When I stay, he called me into his office. And like I said, I'm coming back because Proby's gone crazy on the team and I'm going to be fighting all night every time. And I'm fine with that. That was my job. Right. He pulled me in the office and he said, Joe, I don't want you to fight anymore. He says, you've got no value if you're sitting in the penalty box. He says, if you're sitting in the penalty box, they're going to take advantage of our players. But as long as you're on the bench, I can send you out any time if something happens. So it totally changed my vision of the hockey game and it actually made hockey a lot of fun for me. Except for the second game back when I knew uh, playing in Chicago. <laughs> and that's Mr. Proby and I. So I'll get on the ice, and it turns out it must have been a goal or something, but it's center ice. I go up for the face-off. He lines up right next to me. I know my job, so I whacked him a couple times. Sure enough, we drop the gloves. We have a good fight at center ice, and we go down, and I fall on top of him. And I said to him on top of him, I said, Proby, thanks for getting me back in the league. And it's a big laugh. He says, hey, no problem. So I, that ends. Five, six, seven years later, we're writing the book. We're sitting around a table telling the story. And I tell this side of the story. Proby looks over at me with this kind of dumbfounded look. He says, well, that's why you fought me. I just thought you were being a jerk and wanted to fight me. I'm like, no, they brought me back because you got me there. So, so we had a good laugh and a couple cold ones over that. Yeah, it kind of dawned on him. You're put in, the grind line is put together. Uh, you, Kirk Maltby, Chris Draper, the original Grinders, and I, Draper has confirmed this with me now. He probably thinks that maybe he came up with the term grind line, but if you didn't sanction it, it never would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> Is that pretty much you heard it and you said, yeah, that's who we I, are? I liked it. I don't know who started it. Uh, somehow it got into the press, but we, we really enjoyed playing together. We uh, definitely brought a lot of different attitude and items to the game, but uh, they, those two were such great hockey players and great skaters, and, and the skill, they had more skill than they ever got a chance to show because they were always killing penalties or on a checking line. But being, being able to be out there with them, it just opened up their, their game a little more. They, were, they, they got away with a lot of stuff out there, and I, to this day we still laugh about some of the stuff that they did that nobody, uh, nobody got them back for. And then you actually, which was interesting, because Darren has said this, McCarty, on, on many occasions, you and Proby were kind of his mentors. He grew up in Leamington, the tomato capital of Canada. I always love saying that for some reason. And but he grew up a Detroit fan, more so than a Leafs or Canadians fan, which a lot of people in Leamington were. So he comes in, and he is so just captivated that, you know, this is the team Proby played on and, you know, Windsor guy. And Joey Coaster is right in front of me. So... He just felt compelled to try to please you, which in a straight sense must be, I guess, a great feeling. Uh, D-Mac is just an ultimate team player. Right. I mean, you could see what he did to Claude Lemieux, what, he's, what he did for the city. Uh, the, our best 
moment together was after we beat Colorado in, in Detroit. It was at a game six or game seven and to go to the finals. And he is just like a kid in a candy store. He's screaming and jumping. And I put my arm around his shoulder and I whispered into his ear. I said, this is good, but the next one's better. Right. And he just got serious all of a sudden. He goes, you know what? Yeah, we're not finished. We just got started. Well, I'm glad you said it because when the Red Wings made the final and were swept by New Jersey, they had a little bit of time off. And I can remember they were showing practices in the newspaper and the, the Red Wings were playing for their own miniature Stanley Cup during practice. They were having some games. And I looked at that immediately and I said, man, that's terrible. <laughs> I'm looking as a fan saying, you guys shouldn't be doing that. You know what I mean? I, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to lock, but, the, but they were young. You know, they didn't know. They didn't know the experience. That's where I think more so, I mean, you come in and you kind of calm everybody down. You know, obviously you have the respect of the veterans. You and Steve are, you know, you're tight and all that. But um, what happens is, is that I know 95 was great. You win with the Rangers and that town explodes. 94. Or 94, yeah, I'm sorry, not 95. 94, sorry about that. Uh, it's, believe it or not, it's early for me. <laughs> but uh, you win, you win with, you win with the Rangers. It, it, you know, I, I mean, I've lived in New York. I know the Ranger fans. I mean, that town explodes. It's, you know, it, for, I love New York. I think it's a great city. I really do. But then the Wings win it after 42 years. You know, I'm on the radio all night. You just yelling and screaming. Marty Lapointe calls me like five times. You know, <laughs> it was just, just a wild celebration. For you to begin with this team, even though you won in New York and then you're here, that feeling when you when Detroit won it, not that hey, the Rangers, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from the Rangers, obviously, in that victory with that great team, but what was it like for you just to think, well, you know, I pretty much have come full circle now as a hockey player. Again, winning ever, winning a Stanley Cup, no matter what, it's amazing. And New York was amazing. I'll, I, I take so many great memories. The only difference was Detroit was my home. Detroit's where I was drafted by Jimmy D, where I got to know the Illich family, where they really took us in as family. So to have the opportunity and come back and not not just be a, a guy sitting on a bench maybe, we, we were a big part of that team. I can remember Scotty Bowman starting us at the start of periods. I remember two minutes left in game four against Philadelphia, being on the ice against the... the the Legion of Doom line, right. I mean, he trusted us on the ice, so it gave it a, even a little more satisfaction that we were a, a big part of it. They, we had four lines that you could put on the ice at any time, and to come back and win where I started my career, uh, for the Illiches, for Jimmy D, for the fans, for Stevie, who's gone through so right, much. Right. I, I, I don't want to say I was lucky enough, but I was, I was gone for five years and had some great success to come back and, and have that success with him and Sergey and all the people that I got to know over over my career here, it's, it felt so good. And then to even do it back to back and, and and turn that turn it into a dynasty was was a lot of fun. Well, yeah, okay. Let me you you try. You gave me a little question. Let me give you a little question. Steve Eiserman does not have many regrets at all, as we know, like as a player, and he overcame like horrific injuries. I mean, really horrific injuries to to be a Hall of Famer. He says he has one regret in his career. Do you know what that is? That his line mate Jerry Gallant never won a cup? That is exactly right. <laughs> I didn't know that. That was a guess. No, no, you're exactly right. And I told Gallant that when he came when the Joe closed. 
Steve Eiserman says, I swear to God, you're absolutely right. Because I am, you know, I was always asking him, I was always hounding him for something, you know. I mean, I, you know, Steve's the type of guy, and, you know, I really have a, nothing but admiration for him, but you got to kind of needle him a little bit because he's needling you, you know. I mean, he's really, as you said, he's a very bright guy, he's sarcastic. He can really hone in on you, you know? And, and I love that. And I said, come on, what, what is it? What's, you have to have some sort of regret. I know you've virtually accomplished everything. And he said that I never won a Stanley Cup with Gerard Gallant. Jerry rode his, rode his, uh, his uh, gunner side left wing for all those years. And right. Jerry was a huge part of Stevie's success. And Jerry was, I loved playing with him because he was honest. He would come back to the bench and he'd say, Joe, just so you know, I told McGill you're going to, kick his ass next time you're on the ice because he slashed me. I'm like, thanks, buddy. At least you know. I mean, at least he told me, so I'm ready for it. But, uh, yeah, he was one of the greatest leaders. And honestly, I did not know that answer. No, But no. I know the admiration Stevie has for Jerry. Says. That's amazing. I mean, that's literally amazing. I mean, I mean, I'm impressed, Joe. I, uh, I'm impressed. Uh, all right, we, we're going to have to wrap this up. But let's, let's put it this way. And I told you this. Uh, you came in as Joey Koser Bruise Brothers. You retire as a Red Wing, as Joe Koser, Grindlinder. Uh, I'm trying to think of a player. I mean, Gordy Howe was obviously Mr. Hockey and played on the production line, but you were part of two really iconic. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. One's a line and one is a tandem, but I mean, that's got to be pretty cool. It is. I mean, it's. And they're all my best friends. I mean, mm -hmm. Proby and I. We got a chance to ride ride shotgun together for a lot of a lot of a long years, um, protect each other, help each other, just be together all the time. I just a great time, and then to get a chance to to join Maltz and Drapes and have the success we did. I remember watching the playoffs in I think it was '95 when New Jersey won right. that, and they had uh, the Peluso McKay. Holik line. I right. can't remember what their line was Yeah, I, I remember too. I can't recall. But they were very instrumental in New Jersey winning as a fourth line, if you want to call it a fourth line. And for us to be able to do the same thing and have the success that we had for those two years together. And then I guess I finally, in 99, the injuries caught up to me and I couldn't play. But those were two of the best guys to play with. And mm -hmm. to this day, we talk. Um, of course, Maltz doesn't always answer his phone, but... <laughs> That, that's never changed, but uh, <laughs> Drapes and I talk all the time. And uh, he'll be at the event. Him and Mac will be at the event on uh, Saturday. Right. And if you uh, let, let's wrap it up with the event. I mean, I know for our European audience and people from all over the globe, I mean, hey, you, you still can come. We will invite you. But, you know, it, it's, uh, it's Wednesday. This is uh, uh, the event is on Saturday. Gates open, doors open, whatever, however way you want to put it. I would say gates because it's not really indoors. Uh, uh, at 11 o'clock. Yep. And, and it's, like I said, it's an all-day thing. You can come uh, come at 11 or you can come at 4 o'clock for the final celebrity game. There's, it's, I'm hoping we're going to blow that place out with, with, uh, with an attendance. Uh, we welcome everybody. Like I said, there's so much to do, from adults to kids to autograph seekers. There's going to be there's gonna be lots of signings. We have actually two sit-down signings where... They'll just take the time. Mr. Redmond and Lindsay will both be signing right, I know free that. autographs. Uh, of course, we don't charge anything for that, and players will be signing throughout the day as well. No, it'll, it'll be great. One, one final question. I know you're saying, oh, come on, just shut up, Art. But uh, 
Why do so many athletes that aren't from here stay here in Detroit? What is it about it? Why is Detroit your home? Because, and I've asked many guys this, you guys, you know, you've all done well in life, rightly so. Um, you know, you've been good with your money. Um, you could probably live anywhere you want. Why, why stay here? Well, this is, this is my home. This is, I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere. I, I moved here in 1985. I moved on to a lake out in Highland 26 years ago, so I'm in this same lake, same community. Uh, I have no interest in moving this. I love this place. Only place I go is maybe a little farther up north once in a while. But, uh, and the other thing, my job is, is really automotive related. So you can't be in a better place if you're gonna manufacture automotive parts. So this is, this is home. I don't plan on going anywhere, maybe south for a few months in the summer or up north for a few for uh, for some time. So love it here. Well, you know, I, I, I've known you a long time. You've been a friend a long time. You know, like many, I'll do anything for this foundation. I love coming out there. It's it's one of the things I look forward to every year. I'm really looking forward to the uh, uh, to the the tenth year. You know, a milestone next season. But I mean, it's this Saturday, n number nine. Iconic, Gordy Howe. Uh, it's going to be great, Joe. Uh, you, we're be we're a better community because you, you decided to live here and stay here. You have done a lot for a lot of people, and you know you, you know as great a hockey player as you were, you're even a better man. You have a big heart. You know you and Ted Lindsay. I mean, it's uh, you know def you know Ted being your inspiration because he is inspirational, and then you to follow in his footsteps. Hopefully. Uh, Dylan Larkin, hopefully you're listening because you, you, you may be uh, uh, carrying the torch next. But Joey, thank you for doing the Red and White Authority. It's always a pleasure visiting with you and I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you very much. Yeah.